Welcome to Life Fire Layout, the podcast where we bring the world of public safety to your listening device. Tonight, I have a very special guest with me, Nick Carson. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. Glad to be here. Yo, tell us a little bit about yourself, Nick. Yeah, so um, you are actually a big reason why I entered in the fire service, uh, shamelessly plugging here. Um, I was just a young uh, high schooler who was on the wrong path, just hanging out and, and doing stuff. And I drove by the fire station one day and they had an application for junior firefighters. And I was like, that sounds pretty cool. I'll check that out. You know, I had some videos when I was a kid and joined the fire department and started doing some trainings and going to fires. And at that point, when you were a junior cadet, you couldn't go inside the buildings. But the first time I ever went to a fire and it was like, like hot and there was like fire blowing out of the windows and stuff, I was like, oh my goodness, like I need to, I need to do this. And then ever since then, I was totally hooked. Went to the fire academy, uh, met you because the only firefighter one and two combined program in the state at that time was in Williston, Vermont. So even though I lived in Bennington, I would get up and I would pick up the chief's car from the fire station. I would drive all the way up to Williston. I'd go to class all day and then I would get back in the chief's car and drive all the way back down to Bennington and went to the University of Vermont. Um, talked with Williston Fire. They were kind enough to give me a uh, call staff job. So I got some really good repetitions over there. Um, got my EMT, got my AEMT, um, got a bunch of other certifications, swift water, ice rescue, went through the whole rigmarole. Um, eventually ended up going full-time in Burlington. Uh, spent about seven years there uh, as a career firefighter. Got my paramedic. Um, ended up uh, leaving Burlington as a senior firefighter on ladder two. And um, I'm now working for University of Vermont um, on their medevac helicopter out of the airport and providing critical care on their air and ground units. So um, kind of a kind of a winding path for me. Um, a lot of reasons why it was like that, but uh, loved every second of it. I like really appreciated having the opportunity to work on Williston and Burlington. Also worked on Colchester Rescue, kind of bounced around doing some other stuff, but met some great people, you know, just 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 wild situations that I'll never forget for the rest of my life. Great dudes, great food, like just really appreciated that part of that chapter of my life and really excited for the new one too. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for you, Nick. Uh, just real quick, uh, tell, tell all of the listeners, how far is Bennington from Williston? Yeah. So it's like three hours. Um, and if you take 22A, you got to watch out for the cows because they get into the road. So that was that was new for me. So uh, definitely be careful if you're taking 22A. Yeah, welcome to Vermont, right? Yeah, for sure. And and also, I remember one time I was driving the Chief's car, and I was I was brand new, and I didn't really know much about the fire service, and they just used the Chief's car because it was the most cost effective on gas, and they were required to give me a vehicle. And I wasn't aware that the siren is tied to the horn. So if you guys are familiar with Williston or anybody's been in Williston, there's a place called Taft's Corners. And I was leaving the fire academy and I saw one of my other classmates in the lane over. And so I went to honk at him, I pushed the horn and the siren went into full Yelp mode. And I could not figure out how to shut off the siren because I was not trained in how to operate the siren because I was not supposed to be using that. And all of the traffic at Taft's Corners parted ways like Moses in the Red Sea. And I had no choice but to turn and go on the interstate and uh, and uh, find a place to pull over and call my chief and ask how to shut off the siren because the interstate was almost stopped as I was trying to uh, take on the on-ramp. So that was a learning experience for me. So for those of you out there that are operating vehicles, uh, definitely check to make sure that you understand if the siren is connected to the horn because it doesn't work like a car all the time. Nick, I've heard a lot of stories uh, from you over the years, and that is not one of them. 
and I'm dying over here. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty good. I can only imagine, knowing what I know now, the people that were sitting in traffic being like, what is the Bennington, Vermont fire chief doing operating a siren in traffic with no red lights in the busiest intersection in this in this town trying to get on the interstate? And I was just a 18-year-old kid with no idea what I was doing in the back of that cruiser, just trying to be a fireman, trying to figure it all out like we do. Yes. Yeah, we do. A lot of it by accident, clearly. Yes. Uh, in this case, the reason I wanted to uh, harp on that, is three hours uh, one way for the record and for the listeners, is because uh, uh, just a shameless plug right back at you is that is the ever since I first got to know you, that little example is pretty much what carried on through. Like anything else that we, the Willison Fire Department, threw at you or Burlington, you, wherever you landed, you got thrown a lot of different stuff. And you will forever go down in the history books, at least in Williston. And I can say this because I've been in Williston a long time. Um, that uh, you will forever go down in history as one of those call staff members that everybody remembers because, uh, you know, you get call staff members from all walks of life and all levels of, uh, you know, uh, participation, shall we say, shall we say? Uh, and you were one who was like, I'm all in. And the definition of all in you, uh, in fact, actually earlier today, I was going through some call staff documents and your fingerprints were all over that document uh in the best kind of way oh, you for and, sure. and matt kozlowski so uh super cool there now where we're recording this podcast in the nets uh podcast um uh office if you will yeah but uh tell the listeners a little bit about what nets is if you would yeah sure so northeast emergency training solutions it's a long name usually i just try to correct people and say nets and when they call me and try to pronounce i go yeah i'm that guy and uh, basically, when I joined Burlington, I met a bunch of really good dudes that were operating a training company. Um, it was kind of a, sprung out of a need in the area for training for first responders. So a bunch of Burlington fire guys, uh, originally Jason Savoy, um, Jason Zider, Tim Ferriss, and Steve Pettit were the founding partners. They created an LLC really focused around like EMT programs, eight EMT programs, CPR classes. And they looped me in because I was like a young buck that didn't have any kids and wasn't married and was kind of like had a lot of time available to do whatever. And I started teaching CPR classes and just got the bug. I just love teaching people. I really enjoyed meeting new people and, and having the opportunity to work around other first responders in the area. So I did that for about uh, probably 18 months, maybe two years. And then I realized that there was kind of some opportunities for this company. And I asked uh, Steve Pettit for a meeting. I'm like, hey, man, so uh, I think there's a lot of business that you could have here, uh, but I want a bite. And I was like, so why don't you make me your CPR coordinator? And I'll make all that money, and I'll make sure that I pay my own salary and take care of it for you. It won't be any impact to the business. He's like, yeah, no problem. So I did that for about a year, um, boosted their CPR revenue. Um, and then uh, when Jason Savoy left the business to pursue his own path with some other opportunities, there was a hole in the in the LLC membership. And uh, we kind of had some conversations. They brought me on as an owner. And from there, it's kind of just, just history. I mean, I just, I love the business world. I really enjoy teaching people. We've grown uh, pretty significantly since then. Um, and now we offer courses all over New England. We're actually next week, um, our business, Northeast Emergency Training Solutions, is going down to New Orleans to EMS World Expo. Um, we were one of about 1,500 applicants that was selected to do a pre-conference workshop. We're going to be hardening the target. So uh, you can definitely check that out on their website. It, they have virtual options. Um, and we'd love to see you in New Orleans. So if anybody's listening to this and you'll be down there, just come find us. Uh, we'll be there all week hanging out. We're bringing seven dudes down. Uh, we got an Airbnb. We're going to hang out, just take some classes. And, and that's what it's all about, just networking and, 
and learning new stuff. And I really believe that your path to learning is never over. And I'm so excited to go down and just see what the world is doing and see what people are figuring out. And, you know, who knows, maybe the next, uh, you know, reduction of mass trousers is going to happen next week. I mean, I know those are a big deal, but we don't use those no more. So <laughs> I'm excited to see what, what they have to offer. That is awesome. Uh, confess I'm a little jealous because the cadre of people you're going down with is awesome. Uh, plus, it sounds like a really good time. Um, I want to uh, hearken back to hardening the target for yeah, a second. For but sure. even before then, I want to just go back to, so I used to work for Nets yeah. um, back in the day. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, magical thing called, you know, uh, wife and children arrived. Wife and life, yes. Yeah, wife and life is exactly yes. what happened. Uh, yeah. So had to get out. But yeah. it's amusing because it truly is night and day um, from when I was uh, teaching EMT classes, which was, uh, again, awesome company awesome experience one which i gained so much of my own experience from um but night and day to where it is right now i mean here we are like in the studio um you know with you as is your new role and just seeing some really neat transitions and the you know reach that nets now has i'm looking forward to seeing where it goes and really looking forward to next uh, week when you guys are in new orleans tell me if you would just a little bit so hardening the target where did uh, where did that class come from? How did you sort of stumble on wanting to do that? Yeah, yeah. So great question. So it actually stems all the way back to City Hall Park in Burlington. So there's this, there's this, you know, shift going on in our communities and in the world right now, mostly in America. Let's be real about it. About um, you know, gun violence and active threat violence in the workplace and in schools. And everybody's trying to figure out what to do. You know, we've had some pretty high-profile incidents from Columbine to, you know, Las Vegas to Parkland to Newtown. And everyone's trying to figure out what the right answer is. You know, how are we going to train for this? How are we going to prepare for it? What are we going to do to prevent it? And there's a lot of ideas that are going around. And there's, there's so many people working to try to figure this out. And it's no different in Vermont. We've had active threats events here, you know, as close as Essex Junction, right, right in this area. Winooski's um, had some, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things where everybody's just trying to figure out what to do about this and how we can train for it. And I remember working on the ambulance, you know, we would go and we'd work in conjunction with law enforcement in Burlington. And one of the times we were sitting down in city hall park, I was sitting there on the ambulance and there was another cop sitting there, Kyle Brulette. And we were just talking. I was like, Hey man, like, just being the, the networker that I am and just, you know, cause I just can't shut my mouth. I was like, Hey man, so just out of curiosity, like what's your active threat protocol? Like what's your, what's your deal here? And he's like, Oh, I'm actually on the ERU here and I'm the active threat training guy. So like, here's my number. Like, let's, let's talk about this a little bit. I'm like, okay, cool. And one of the things I always try to remind people of is neither of us had any bugles or like any chiefs. None of us had any formal role at all. The only thing we did is just start talking and we became really good friends. And he's actually, to this day, he's now our director of operations. And he manages all of our law enforcement programs. And him and I have been teaching for at least three years together, offering courses all over New England, as far as Rhode Island. Um, we're the largest provider of tactical emergency casualty care in the state of Vermont. Um, we've done several hundred students over the last few years. Um, I'm NAEMT, TECC faculty. And that's all uh, because of that conversation that happened with Kyle. Um, and I think it's really... 
it's really important that when you approach these discussions that you have the parties that are at play in the room talking with each other. It's so easy to operate in a silo. It's so easy to just kind of like say what you would do or kind of, you know, from your perspective. And one of the things we're really careful of is when we go have these conversations, you know, we bring law enforcement, fire and EMS into the room. We talk to, if it's about teachers, we bring teachers into the room. We ask them what their protocols are. And so when we're going down to New Orleans, one of the ways we pitched our presentation is this uh, kind of multifaceted approach of Dave Ariyama, our firefighter, AEMT, school safety guy, which works in Wilson with you. Um, Kyle Brulette, our active threat responder. He's got a military background as well for, uh, for Army QRF. And then myself being in the medical field and kind of having a little bit more of the background in the public information, having a degree in marketing. Um, we all teach together every time. So we kind of have this like unseen agreement that anything that comes into any one of us goes to the rest of them. And so we pitch this idea of hardening the target. Let's let's go down and let's talk about a holistic approach to preparedness and recovery. Let's not just talk about like, you know, what what EMS is going to do or what fire is going to do. Let's talk about what all of them are going to do. What is what are the teachers doing? What's the Department of Public Works going to do when this stuff happens? And how are they all going to communicate? And I think that was one of the reasons we got selected is because there's a lot of programs out there that talk about active threat response, ASHER training, you know, active shooter hostile event response. And there's a lot of effort that goes into that, right? Downrange work. But what doesn't go into that is victim services, mental health recovery, funding, nonprofit. And so our, our Hardening the Target workshop, the four-hour workshop, is all about the holistic community approach. Because if you're not including the entire uh, like spokes on the wheel, you're not going to have a effective wheel turning. And so we want to make sure that we include the people that would be included. And so what we're doing is, is we're going down there and we're trying to present it in a way that's going to include everybody. That's awesome. Uh, for a host of reasons, but uh, and I'm not gonna you know give anything away here. But I think one of the things I appreciate the most is the fact that you're getting um, all of the various facets of what an active or a hostile event would include: the before, the during, a little bit of after. You know, um, so I'm I'm excited to hear more about that. There is I want to transition to another training that Nets offered recently, and the reason I want to transition sure. is. Um, a, because I don't want to give anything away to next week's presentation, but B, because I took part in it, the training we're going to talk about in a second here, um, and s very, in a very similar vein to what you just described, what you're going to offer up and hardening the target next week in New Orleans, um, this uh, TACMED exercise that I took part in was the first exercise in, I, I kid you not, years <laughs> that I have taken part in, uh, and I've heard this from a number of other folks as well that was the actual like going out and doing it rubber meeting the road yeah. i've participated in dozens of other exercises tabletops discussions um, which were good very beneficial oh, yeah. learned a lot yep. but i kid you not let you know before i go into a, t a ton more detail um TACMED, tell us a little bit about what that was sure yeah so um, we spent a couple years providing tactical emergency casualty care training and MCI training to the area of New England that we serve. And we did several hundred students, like we said. And basically that program is from the National Association of Emergency Medical Technicians. And everything that we were teaching is from that program. Um, and we're a co-TECC accredited provider. So everything operates under that umbrella. It's basically the fundamentals of responding to an event like this. And so once people have that initial training, um, that's kind of the first step. So 
after that initial training happened, we wanted to start taking people that have had that initial training and that common terminology and then applying it to real situations to kind of see where the breakdowns were. So like a good example is we did a, we do a lot of closed courses. So towns book us and they call us and say, Hey, you know, we want to do this training and we have, you know, 10 firefighters, five police officers and five EMTs, and they're all going to take it together. And we don't want anyone from outside of our, uh, you know, response jurisdiction to be taking it. We just want to do it together. I'm like, okay, great. So we go and we do these things. And at the end of day two, we usually do several scenarios to kind of see where everybody's at and kind of check in on them and have them apply the concepts. And one of the things we offer is this ability to audit their current procedures and policies and equipment. So we say, hey, tell us what you're currently planning on doing and let's mimic that. We'll give you a scenario and like if you have a radio channel that's and policy that you're going to use, let's use that channel. Like let's communicate that to the dispatch agency so that they know that that's going to be out of play and let's operate the way you would operate. If you have a staggered or tiered response, we'll set a timer and we'll stagger and tier response based on the distance from your station to the incident location that's selected. So everything's as real as possible. And so one of the classes we did, we get ready to go and we're like, all right, here's your scenario. We kick it off. They all get sent to the staging area and the first unit's like, okay, we're on scene. And someone's like, what channel are you on? And they're like, oh, I'm on channel 10. I'm on channel 10. And they're like, say it again. And they key it up again, no response. And then the, the other one's like, well, I'm on channel 11. I don't have 10. Do you have 10? And so we identified all these problems and no one could talk to anybody. Nobody, all the plans that were in place, everything that was on paper was not working, right? So we had to kind of pivot and they had to find a common channel. They had to work in real time. So it does two things. One, we're testing systems so that that doesn't happen at the real event. Because if you do any of these after action reviews, you can see that communications is consistently a biggest issue. Um, United on Guns has a bunch of after action reviews they include in their programming. We're a partner with them as well. And they say, plan that communications will fail. If you plan that communications will fail, it won't be a surprise when it happens and you'll be able to recover quickly. So we kind of, you know, we offer those drills and we're looking for things like that. So TACMED um, is really designed to take people who have training and experience and put them in a situation where they can actually apply what they would be doing and identify problems prior to them happening in the real world. It's basically like if you think of a sports team, it's a scrimmage. It's a pre-season scrimmage to try to see where we can tighten things up and review the game footage and then make sure that we're ready to go for the playoffs. And that's essentially what it's designed for. Um, and just because I'm a huge nerd, TACMAN's actually an acronym. Most people don't know that. So it's Tactical Agency Combined multi-jurisdictional emergency drill. So if you do any research with like EMS and fire and any studies, like I kind of get a kick out of like how everybody loves acronyms. So uh, TACMED is both tactical medicine and it's also an acronym. So uh, the amusing thing about that is I didn't know it was an acronym until I got the after action. Yeah. And then I laughed and yeah. I re-ran off oh, because yeah. it just, just it like felt, oh yeah. my God, it felt so just in line with you. Oh, it man. fell in line with every other yeah. like class I've ever taken. I was yeah. like, of course it would be an oh, acronym. Oh yeah, you can hear me saying it as you read it. You're uh, like, that son of a, yeah. I also appreciate that you just, so I was actually going to, if you didn't call that out, I was going to call it oh, out, yeah, but yeah. I have it written down because yeah. I'm like, oh, there's no way I'm going to remember that. I know it's, it's a lot, but it's entertaining. Well, it is. Uh, so and so what you hit on right there, um, I will then go back to what I was just saying about the fact that when the rubber met the road for me, um, I'll just call myself out for a second and say that I was offered a spot as the, uh, in essence, the incident commander for this yeah. uh, from the fire side of things Yep. with the, you know, hope being that I would have established some level of um, unified command, which I, I did, mm -hmm. but um, it was 
probably the like one of the most stressful training exercises I've been a part of, mostly because it involved so many different agencies, so many different entities. And for the first time, like I said, in years, it was for me, the opportunity to test all of these things that I thought I knew. But then when it actually became in practice, and I watched some of the the the, you know, the train go off the rails a little bit, I was like, Oh, my God, I probably should have seen that coming, but I didn't. And then to get the train back on those tracks was very difficult, but doable. Yeah. And what I'll say is in the heat of the moment, um, it, it took being that that level of stress, you know, not the real incident, but it took as being, a, you know, put in that level of stress as much as um, or as close as we could be to the real incident for me to then, you know, I, I try to be a really nice, polite person. Um, but when the track has, or the train has gone completely off the rails, yeah. that had to go out the window. I had to be very much like, this needs to happen right now. Yeah. Um, and fortunately it did. Uh, but again, to the point of why TACMED existed and where it sort of came from, you know, um, it worked. And I really hoped you, will there be, will there be more? Oh, for sure. So like we, this is all on the concept of stress inoculation. So if you think about like going to the gym, if you've never run on the treadmill ever, and you go and you try to run a six minute mile, you're going to die and you're not going to want to come back ever. And you're going to get discouraged and frustrated and you're going to get angry at the treadmill and you're probably going to break something at cancel membership. So we have students that go to courses and that's what they experience, right? One of the courses that Dave and I attended, we like to go all over New England and, and the United States and just take other people's courses because we want to pick up little tools and put it in our toolkit and see what's going on and, and see what everyone else is doing. One of the courses we went to, Dave and I get up there and we sign our names in, you know, we could do all our paperwork and they talk to us about what the course is going to look like. And they're like, okay, we're going to start with a baseline scenario. And they go outside and they start popping green smoke grenades. They start firing off blanks through like like these huge like AR-15 rifles and like M4s and stuff. And then they roll in these MRAPs and the SWAT team comes out and starts barking orders at everyone. And like, we don't even know if there's any patients. We don't know what's in play or not a play. We don't know what's going on. And then they bring us back into the room and they're like, so raise your hand if you felt stressed. I was like, so we did feel stressed. But what is the purpose? Like, what is the learning objectives that was created there? Because if you don't do stress inoculation right, if it's too stressful too quickly and people aren't prepared, it actually, there's been evidence showing that they'll perform worse in the real world because you've destroyed their confidence. So one of the things we did in TACMED that's pretty specific is for the command level positions, they were all hand selected. So people didn't have the opportunity to put in for those. So if they were interested, they let us know. And then we reviewed each person's resume and then hand selected who was going to be in each command position based on their experience, making sure that they had real world experience in that role before performing a tech med. And then the only people that were eligible to participate as the rescue task force members were people who were certified in tactical emergency casualty care or tactical combat casualty care, which is the military counterpart. So like, I think it's really important to remember that if you're designing these drills or you want to do these drills, you need to really think about what your target audience is. And uh, Zach Borst in episode one that you were talking about, he had a really good um, description of the cycle of exercises and making sure that you can't skip steps. So if you haven't done a tabletop, you can't do a full-scale exercise. If you haven't done the initial training, if people don't know what they're supposed to do, they're not going to be successful in a stressful environment. And we're pretty careful when we run these courses and when we design these drills to pay attention to the trajectory of people's stress 
us, and we want that therapeutic range, right? If you're a marathoner and you set the treadmill to two miles an hour and you're going to leave the gym, you're not going to break a sweat, right? So what we're looking for is we don't want those people who haven't been running to get frustrated and discouraged, and we don't want the marathoners to have a waste of time. So we need to find that range where people's heart rates are in that therapeutic range and they're actually getting something out of the drill. So this drill was kind of methodically designed in that um, effort. And uh, you probably know that it's a pretty simple drill. Like in terms of what we offered, the drill itself was actually a very simple drill. It just, there are a lot of moving parts that need to come together. And I think that's a key that people forget. They think that um, they need a really complicated drill to make people stressed. And I think you got to remember that when you train, you're developing these neurological pathways of training in the training environment. And the minute you encounter stress, your brain's pathways are different than what they were in the training environment. So you have to build those ahead of time with stress inoculation to be successful in the real world. And that's what the drill is designed to do. So uh, the other question I have related to this is most of these drills, in order to do a drill like that, um, in, in, you know, there are organizations and folks listening right now that are part of these organizations yeah. that are saying, my God, this would take us like two years to, uh, put together, execute. Um, how did you do it in, in, a, you know, a shorter time? How were you able to, to turn, turn that around? Yeah. So good question. Um, we definitely got that feedback. So when we were designing this drill, um, there were a lot of folks that said, oh, that timeline's way too tight. You need two, three years to plan something like this. And we need to fly all these people in from Louisiana and do all this other stuff. And you can't do it like this. It's not going to work. It's never going to work. Um, and I, you know, before I left Burlington, I spent two years in the training office running those recruit academies um, and getting a lot of experience just understanding how people think and how they're trained and how they're successful and, and how they fail. And so one of the things we did is we were pretty careful about who we selected in which positions. And then we were pretty careful about making sure that the parameters for the exercise were very clear to the participants. So one of the most frustrating things that students or participants can have in an exercise like this is if they don't understand in and out of play areas, right? If you ask your participants to have a suspension of disbelief beyond like a reasonable expectation, it's going to be difficult for them to participate in the drill. So like if you say, oh, pretend you heard uh, gunshots on the third floor. If you're expecting them to follow stimulus and there's no stimulus, that's an unfair drill. They're not going to be successful and they're going to be discouraged and frustrated at the drill itself. So what do we do? We create stimulus. We use blanks. We use uh, weapons that create the exact same sound as a real handgun or a real rifle. And one of the things I was going to mention um, as we were talking about this is everything we do is data driven. So we want to look at what these incidents are. So our team for TACMED, they look at every after action report of any major incident that happens in the United States. And we read through the whole document as a team. And we look at what type of weapon was used, how many casualties were there, where were they located, how long did it take to initiate, how long did it take for law enforcement to secure the threat. And then we use that data to craft our scenarios. So overwhelmingly, you would, you would think that it would be an AR-15 or a rifle that's used in these events, but overwhelmingly it's a handgun. So we use primarily handgun injuries in the patients who are, who are suffering uh, gunshot wounds because that's, that's most likely what people are going to see, right? So other things we've done is, you know, in some of our trainings, um, we've actually taken clothes out to the gun range and we fired different caliber bullets through the clothes and put those on the mannequins with moulaged injuries because people have a, uh, like a Hollywood expectation of what a, a penetration wound is going to look like in clothing from calibers. So we do that ahead of time in the hands-on portion of the skill station. That way, when they do the scenario, they're more accurate at identifying those entrance wounds. So I think it's just being really cognizant, uh, cognizant and knowing that your students are prepared to perform at the level that you've trained them for. And I think that's like 
the key to any good training or any good exercise is you need to be in that therapeutic range. Because if it's too complex, they're going to get discouraged and frustrated. It's going to blow back on you. And if it's not complex enough, they won't want to come back because it's boring. Man, so, all right, uh, just speaking from our participants' role, uh, all of that lined up. Like, I had enough uh, heads up ahead of time. I had enough briefing. You know, it wasn't like, here's the scenario uh, ahead of time, good luck. It was like everything was unfolding in front of me. Um, But at the end of the day, when I got done, enough things went off the rails that I was like, oh man, I have some things to work on here myself. And I think the, the larger group of us do, but it wasn't discouraging. It, 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 it wasn't too discouraging is what I'm saying. You found as a company, Nets found that therapeutic range for all of us. Cause I did talk to a number of other folks, including our partners in law enforcement, my counterpart at the unified command post, he and I actually exchanged a brief text beforehand saying, what are we getting ourselves into? Yeah, right. Um, nervous. We were nervous about what we were getting ourselves into. And at the end, the text was the exact opposite. It was like we could not have imagined a better scenario because at the end of the day, it put us exactly in that. Um, so I am, I'll am. i tell you what I'm really looking forward to is uh, obviously more like probably seeing what's happening next. Um, what do you have? I, I, I we're, we're kind of trying to wrap up here, but... Um, what I do want to talk about very briefly is one aspect of that drill that I just, I know we're going down into a little bit of a rabbit hole, but just to, to, to wrap this up, um, something occurred that I had never heard of the forward control point officer. Yeah. And I just, for just a couple minutes, can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Because for me, yep. um, out of every drill, I try to take one big thing away. Yep. And for me, you know, people might laugh, but that was my big thing is like, I want to maybe change the terminology a bit for to, to uh, ICS it for this area. Yeah. Um, but I got to tell you, just, just hit on that for any of these listeners. Yeah. Hopefully some of you might've heard of this, but hit yep. on this for a sec. Yeah. So again, uh, Dave and I try to go take classes elsewhere outside of Vermont, right? Because we only have our perspective. We have the uh, people around us that we network with and we have the people we see every day in the system that we work in, usually in this area of Vermont, which is created by people that were trained by the same people who train the same people. And it kind of ends up kind of regurgitating a lot of the same ideas. So the way you deal with that is you inject fresh blood. You go out and you get new ideas and different perspectives and you just gather up as much information as possible. So last year I had the opportunity to go down to EMS World Expo. I try to go every year because it's just amazing and it's like fun and I get to nerd out and like hang out with a bunch of people and meet my heroes and you know how it goes. And uh, I took this class called Command and Control for the Active Shooter. So EMS World Expo was in Orlando last year. And for those of you who are familiar with this topic, um, Orlando had a pretty significant incident called the Pulse Nightclub with a lot of fatalities and a lot of lessons learned. And the people who taught my program were members who responded to and commanded the incident of the Pulse nightclub. So in my mind, I'm like, this is a class worth going to because these people learn from their lessons and there's a reason why they do what they do, right? And there's a, there's a tremendous amount of changes that have happened in Orlando since this event. And Mayor Buddy Dwyer was phenomenal in, in control of this incident. And the, the holistic community approach has really been a big thing in Orlando and they make it a priority, right? So everything's a priority to create this training. They do exercises frequently down there on this topic with the county sheriff's department and the county fire service and Orlando fire 
making sure that they're ready to go. So anyway, they do this course. We're in a 3 million square foot convention center, right? We have 160 plus patients, all moulaged by Hollywood moulage artists, which was wild. I'd never seen anything like it because the EMS World Expo is everybody, right? So they fly in like Simulades and like Garamond and they're all trying to like compete with each other and layer it all. And they're trying to like, you know, we got the best trauma, man. And so they pull out all the stops, dude. I mean, it's like, it's, it's crazy. I mean, stuff I've never even seen in a movie is happening to these patients. And so they, they uh, bring in the Recruit Academy for uh, Orange County Fire Rescue comes in, about 100 uh, young men who are who are in there, and they participate. We had like 10 or 15 ambulances. We had about 20 fire apparatus fully staffed, four people apiece. And they separate us into these different groups. And they had the op- opportunity to go through and operate in different aspects of the command structure with a uh, basically like a guide. So the Orange County Fire Rescue officers, deputy chiefs, captains, lieutenants who are trained in this, who have done this in the real world, they work with you and they help you make decisions, but you get to talk on the radio and you get to move patients around and you get to make decisions. Um, and then they debrief everything at the end. And one of the things that they added in their command chart, which we we now use um, for all of our participants, is this idea of the forward control point officer. So um, if you're familiar with ICS, it's in between operations and rescue task force. So essentially what it is, is it's a group supervisor or division supervisor, depending on whether you're using uh, location or function as your like ICS designation. But essentially what it is, is a group supervisor. So if, if you had multiple um, rapid intervention crews on a fire scene, you might have a Rick supervisor, and that's a group supervisor under the ICS system, this is the exact same thing, right? They just call it forward control point officer. You can change terminology in the ICS to meet your independent customized needs, but this could be called the RTF group supervisor. And what they found and what you guys found when you did the drill is that when you are managing four, five, six RTF teams and they're operating on multiple floors of the building with multiple patients and the only thing in between you and uh, command is uh, EMS branch or operations, that there's a disconnect because there's a lot of other functions that are happening there. And I think you would agree that once that position was put in place, I think Leo Wormer filled that role after a little bit, things went like clockwork. So one of the things we always talk about is like the fundamental principles of the incident command system. If the span of control starts to reach beyond your manageable grasp, just add a position. Those are all available to you. You can operate uh, with a smaller span of control and you also limit radio traffic because now you can use different channels, you can do face-to-face communications, and it's something that the fire service has been doing forever, right? You have a fire on multiple floors, just put a division supervisor on each floor, and now you don't have to talk to 17 different people doing overhaul in 17 different rooms. You can just talk to each division supervisor, and you're talking to five people instead of 15 people. So I think that's something that um, we always uh, kind of like mention to people is, Really good incident commanders who are familiar with the incident command system are going to be effective regardless of whether they have medical training. It's just an incident management problem. It has nothing to do with the medical need. The medical people do medical stuff. Just just using those positions effectively. Um, and I think you guys realize that that the forward control point officer in uh, that span of control is really key when it comes to this. So that's thank you for that very uh, awesome synopsis because that's exactly why I wanted you to mention that we it was a, such an aha moment for me that I want all the listeners to maybe either acknowledge and say I've never heard of that and I want to learn more about it which you just did and maybe dive even deeper um, and then the next thing I would recommend highly is doing what I did which is attending whether it be the next TACMED or you know hopefully uh, any other MCI I just had an opportunity to finish up. Um, Redbird 2023, which is the um, large-scale MCI exercise, a full-scale exercise that the airport does. 
um, a lot of different stuff. Uh, I had a chance at St. Michael's College did an internal boot camp. MCI had a chance to go do that. So like if you're listening to this podcast and any of this is triggering something in your brain that says, I want to learn more, like I would challenge you to not just go out and learn more in the form of a, you know, just conversation um, like you had with Kyle that day that sparked then, you know, him becoming an operations person with this company. Um, or from my perspective, I'm going to take all of this and then Captain Chris with the South Burlington Fire Department and I are going to revamp the entire MCI protocol for District 3 and hopefully turn it into a, an amazing document. Um, but that is going to come from the data that we derive from things like the after action from TechMed, from um, uh, a lot of different groups that have done the work for us. We're just going to you know, pull, that from, um, you know, pull that data from that. Uh, what I want to ask you as we look through it, this has been fantastic, um, but if you could give one lesson, you know, what, what would you like our listeners to do tomorrow? Yeah. So if you are interested in making change anywhere with anyone, with any organization and any system anywhere, the key is, are you ready? Seek first to understand, then be understood. The only reason Kyle ever talked to me is because my first question was, Hey, talk to me about what you would do in an incident. So many people go wrong and they say, hey, this is what we're going to do. How are you going to support me? And immediately you're going to put them on their heels and it's not going to go well. But if you say, hey, can I, can I come talk to you about what you're doing to prepare for this? Tell me about what your system is. Tell me, I want to learn more about what you're doing. And if you sit there and you learn and you pay attention, then you can start to add your feedback later and they'll be like, hey, that's good feedback. You were listening to me. You understand. And that's like, we talk about this in the fire service all the time, but like, that's essentially what probation is, right? If you're a firefighter and you're going on probation, it's seek first to understand, then be understood. That's like, if you can remember that as a new member of any organization or in any new network that you're creating, you're going to be exponentially more successful. And everything that we do now and all the relationships we have, it's because we have curiosity and we have patience and we have empathy and we go find people and we pick up the phone and we call them and ask them questions. United on Guns, that relationship happened because I went on their website. I was like, man, this is a cool document. I looked at the bottom. I found a phone number I and an email. I emailed them three or four times, never got through. And I called them. I got a call back immediately. And now she wants to come and work with us. She wants to go to New Orleans and meet us. She's sent us tons of documents. We talked for like two hours on the phone the other day. And it's just about making people feel heard and listening to what they have going on and then they're going to be they're going to be in your corner and help you out but you need to seek first to understand then be understood uh, that's going to go down in the record books right there that's why you're such a good ems provider uh, that's you. why we're having this conversation right now <laughs> um nick carson thanks for uh being on this podcast i really appreciate your time yeah absolutely man I'm, i look forward to seeing the new episodes anytime you want to come hang out we'd love to have you participate for sure Absolutely. And for anyone uh, interested in more information, whether it be uh, exercises like TACMED or anything, CPR classes, um, EMT classes, visit netsvt.com, N-E-T-S-V-T, like the state, awesome, dot com. Uh, Nick, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And to all the listeners, see you next time. Absolutely. Thanks, okay. Brett.